Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Tonight, we are actually going from the belt of truth, talking about open our eyes, opening our eyes to truth. We're going from that passage and that battle that Elisha fought through spiritual giftings. We're going to go straight into probably one of the most famous battles in the Old Testament. Joshua and the battle of Jericho, but we're going to start at our anchor verse again. We read it last week. We're going to read it again tonight. It's Ephesians 6, starting in verse 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning we don't war against the physical, but we do war. Our war is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Go ahead and underline heavenly realms. We're going to be talking about the heavenly realms in the next few weeks. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when, right? How many of you have seen that day of evil? Whew. Yeah. You may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, well, wait, after we've done everything, well, what are you talking about, Lord? What's everything? We're going to unpack a little bit of what everything is tonight. To stand. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth that we talked about last week. Girding our waist, making sure our reactions are founded in truth and not misconceptions. And secondly, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness in place. What the heck is a breastplate, right? Because I'm pretty sure it's probably not a bra, Right? I mean, you know, even with the underwire and all of the support that we now have, I'm pretty sure it's not that. I did a little bit of research and I found, guys, I think I have multiple pictures. I only want that first picture to go up. Yes, this is the one. I found a picture of what a breastplate was. Now, understand me, we're looking at Hebrew armor. We're not looking at Roman armor. So a lot of times when we look up this idea of the full armor of God, unfortunately, we've taken notes from Roman soldiers, but we're looking at Hebrew armor. It's going to be a little bit different of a story. And so this breastplate that was worn, there's two different versions here. This is just a replica on this side, but I thought it was cool to look at. The breastplate is worn on the actual breast, shocking, I know, and it was an identifier. Each of the 12 jewels of this breastplate represented one of the tribes of Israel. So the idea of this breastplate was that it identified the individual wearing it as being with God's children, right? As being part of Israel. And so I want, to, I want you to keep that in mind. 
Because when the Lord talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, what he's talking about is putting on an identity that is founded not in how good you are, but in how good Jesus is. When we talk about righteousness, we're talking about what is right, what is just, what is perfect. And the easiest way for me to talk about righteousness is looking like Jesus. And so when scripture talks about putting on the full armor of God and the breastplate of righteousness, we're talking about finding our our identity in Jesus, in who he is, in who he's called us to be. I got to be honest, I really like thinking about the breastplate as a superhero. No, seriously, I do. In fact, is Courtney here? Courtney Hart, where are you? Yes. Courtney, when she prays for me, she calls me Shira, princess of power. And I love that. I will take that all day long. And so when I think about the breastplate of righteousness, and you know, Shira was blonde too. Those of you that are brunettes, you can be Wonder Woman. I, I'm not, I'm not hating. All, all of that, it, it works. But this, I, I, in my mind, I picture this type of character with their emblem on their chest. This is exactly what the breastplate of righteousness was. It was an emblem that helped identify not only who you were, but whose side you're on, who you are involved with. It's an identifier. And so the idea that the Lord is calling us to be identified with him and only through him. If you're a follower of Jesus, not only does he want you to find your identity in him, but he also has very specific blessings for you. Did you know that? How many of you are grateful for that tonight? So grateful. So tonight, we're going to talk about Literally, how to unpack some of these blessings, some of these promises that the Lord's given you that you've not yet been able to walk in. Some of these promises that scripture has given you, maybe the Holy Spirit's given you directly, that you know that you know that you know are for you, but you've not been able to see it in its fruition. And we're going to do that through the battle of Jericho, the most famous battle in the Old Testament. And there's a few elements. The very first one that we want to unpack tonight from the battle of Jericho, Joshua and the battle of Jericho, is understand covenants and consecration. Everybody say that. Covenants and consecration. And those are some really big words, Ashley. (laughs) A lot of times when you look at scripture, maybe you're Googling something about Joshua and the battle of Jericho, you'll see this phrase mentioned, the promised land. Anybody ever heard of that? This idea that there is land that has been promised, and if you look back, the very first time that it was promised to Israel, this land that this battle was fought over, it was promised in Genesis 15 to Abraham. 
It was promised again to Isaac and again to Jacob. And if you look, this land had been Israel's promise literally for 600 years, and they hadn't been able to walk into its fullness. That's shocking. These were the people of God that had been given a promise and not been able to walk into its fullness. You know, promises are tricky. How many of you are moms again? Yeah, lots of moms out there. Promises are tricky because you have to really word your promises well with your children. Anybody have this backfire on you? Yeah, I'm the queen of having it backfire on me. And we, we we're trying to work through that with our kids. We, we've had a lot of transition this last year, and so we're really trying to make sure our kids feel that stability. And so we actually purchased one of these. Maybe you have something like it in your home. It's by Melissa and Doug. It's the responsibilities chart. It had a whole other thing underneath that was just always in the way, so I cut it off. But it comes with all of these uh, chores and tasks and responsibilities, right? And they came on magnets, and then the idea is that you talk through as a family what each child's responsibilities are gonna be, and then when they actually walk in those responsibilities, accomplish those, then you give them a star. Well, in my house, the magnets ended up everywhere. So guess what we did? Dry erase marker, right? Magnets gone, dry erase marker. So we put Israel here and Fulton here and we discussed with each child exactly what we felt like would help them to grow into the boy, the girl that God was calling them to be in this season. The specific chores and tasks. And when they were obedient in those tasks, and faithful in walking them out, then they got a reward. And so I remember the very first week, Fulton was not interested in putting his toys away, right? Legos everywhere. And I remember talking to him, buddy, I know that robot that you've been wanting. Now remember, we're looking at multiple stars for you being faithful in these tasks that mommy's asked you to do so that you can receive the robot, so that mommy knows that you will be a good steward of the robot. I use those terms with my kids. I know that's weird, but stewardship should be universal. (laughs) I remember the very first time that he wasn't interested in that, and when I explained to him, all right, bud, No star today. Understand, you have to have the stars to get the robot. What? But you promised. Tears flowing down his face. Buddy, no, no, no. That's not what we agreed upon. I didn't promise you the robot no matter what. I promised you that when you were faithful in these areas and I saw you could be trusted with the robot, that I would reward you with the robot. Now, this sign that we have hanging in our kitchen, does it have anything to do with how much I love my children? No. 
stars doesn't mean more love for them. Well, some days, no, no. (laughs) But because I love my children, I want to train them in a way that helps them to walk into exactly what I know God has called them to be. Even at four, right? Even at four. And so you could say that instead of a promise, this represents a covenant, (laughs) a very loose term for covenant. But it's this idea of me saying, Fulton, if you agree to do this, then I will do this. And so I want you to think about this idea of promised land in terms of that, because I'm about to blow your mind right now. Nowhere in scripture is the phrase promised land ever used. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you're reading the message or if you're reading the New Living Translation, those are paraphrases. And those are great for study, but that's not original language based. And so you'll see those phrases in those translations. But in the original language, the promised land is never used. Why? Because it wasn't a promise without contingencies. It was a covenant. And in ancient Hebrew times, as well as today, covenants are a big deal, a really big deal. In fact, one of my teachers chose to spend quite a bit of time in the Middle East before, thank goodness, before he taught me. And so there's so much wisdom that I was able to glean from him. But I remember one story that he shared. He was sharing that he... In the middle of his years there in the Middle East, he had decided to live with a Bedouin tribe, a nomadic tribe, in the Middle East for six months. Because after research, he found that that type of tribe was the closest that he could get in modern day living to what the Hebrews would have lived like. And he was telling us that he remembers the very first time he ever saw a covenant cut. It's a really powerful picture. Because see, a covenant is never between two equals. A covenant always has a greater party and a lesser party. Which is why the covenant of marriage is not between you and your husband. It's between the both of you and God. But a covenant has a greater party and a lesser party. And in a covenant, you basically come together with two lists. Now, the one that he was visually experiencing was a marriage covenant. And what had happened was the father of the to-be groom was there with the father-to-be bride. And they came together and said, okay, these two want to get married? I can provide for her a safe home, this many cattle. I'm making this up. I have no clue what it was. I'll be faithful to her. I'll da, 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 da. And he had this whole list. And then the father of the to-be bride comes up and says, okay, I promise you that I will be this, this, and this, faithful, bear children, da, 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 cook all your meals, stop at Krispy Kreme on the way home, whatever it is the entirety of the list. And then what happens is 
shocking for us Westerners. Because the two fathers agree. They agree that my son will provide this, and the other father agrees that my daughter will provide this. And then whereas in America, maybe there'd be a signature or a handshake, these two gentlemen go and get a very specific collection of animals, of sacrifices. And this is even in some modern day cultures. They'll take these animals and slit the throats or cut them in half, and what they do is allow the blood of these animals to spill into a ditch. Shocking, right? Into a ditch, and this is done in front of the entire community. And once that happens, they take that list and they say, okay, if I don't fulfill everything on this list, you can do this to me. And they walk in the middle of the blood. If I don't fulfill every part of this covenant, then you can slit my throat and walk in my blood in front of this entire community. Hello. How many of you know divorce rates are a lot lower there? (laughs) Shocking, right? And so the, the greater party goes first, and then the lesser party comes up and says, okay, If I don't fulfill everything on this list, then you can do this to me. And the lesser party walks through that blood covenant. Wow. It's incredible, right? And so this, you have to understand, this type of agreement not only is incredibly important in that culture, but it's contingent upon It's not a promise that's yours regardless. There are contingencies that always have to do with your actions. Now, I want you to understand, even salvation is contingent upon your actions. And some of you are, let me finish. God requires that you accept the price that Jesus paid. God requires that you receive him. That's the action. Even your being rescued by God, read scripture, is contingent upon you what? Calling on him. So there's this constant ebb and flow and reaction to everything God has promised you. And so I need for you to understand tonight that where you think specific things have been promised you and you're so frustrated because you're not walking in those, some of those may be because there are specific contingencies that God's waiting on you to be faithful in. And that's not a popular thing to say, but there's nothing more scriptural than that. And so this point was covenant. And the second part of that is consecration. And we pick up in Joshua 5. You have to understand, these are individuals, the Israelites, that have lived with this promise hanging over their heads for 600 years. And now they finally experienced freedom from slavery, but still not fulfillment. Some of you here tonight are experiencing that same thing. There are certain things in your life that you're free from, and God has been so good, and he's allowed you to walk out of that bondage, but he has more for you. 
He has so much more. And it's time not just to be okay with freedom, but to walk into the fulfillment of the entirety of his promise. And that's what we're going to talk about. Joshua 5. Every single time that the covenant promise was stated throughout Scripture, the contingencies were stated as well. What was required of them was stated as well. And so we're going to pick up in Joshua 5, understand that they've been out of slavery for about 40 years. So I'm guessing the second they walked out of Egypt, they thought, oh, this is the, this is the deal. I'm going to walk directly into the promised land. It's done. And yet they roamed. And so now we're picking up. Moses has died. He never got to see that promise. In fact, every single warrior that was in slavery, Scripture says, is now dead. Every single one of them. And so we're picking up where Joshua is about to walk into the biggest battle of his life. And consequently, it's the first battle he's ever led. The battle that literally will allow his people to see the fruition of a promise of 600 years. Hmm, no pressure. And God gives him specific instructions that seem to me like the worst battle plan ever. Read with me, Joshua 5, starting in verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. He didn't say circumcise the Israelite infants. He said circumcise the Israelites again. And I need for you to understand, this is days, possibly, before the biggest battle of their lives. And God said, don't take really sharp knives. Don't take the laser up the street at the skin clinic. Take flint knives and circumcise all the Israelites. There's nothing about that that is a smart battle plan. Nothing. And look what scripture says, verse 3. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites. Are you joking? If I had been Joshua, I'm pretty sure I would have argued that one down, right? Lord, I must be hearing you wrong. There's no possible way. But in reality, Joshua somehow understand this idea of consecration. You see, circumcision was how the Lord distinguished and set apart his people, even in, in slavery, even in Egypt, they continued to circumcise because it set them apart. And yet somehow in 40 years of the wilderness, 40 years, they'd forgotten all about that. Not one man was circumcised. They'd forgotten what it's like to set themselves apart so that they could focus on God and identify with him totally. Sounds a lot like us today, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like the lives that we're leading, and I'm as guilty as you guys are. There are things that I have allowed in my life that the Lord has had to literally cut away 
I remember, this is just confessional. I remember about a year and a half, two years ago, I was in this place where I was really praying for the Lord to take me deeper in my walk and in, even in my thinking and everything that he wanted to do. And I had this TV show that is trash, but I loved it. And, and it's gotten, my understanding is even more trashy, but I'm not trying to justify it. But I used to like watch it while I cooked or right before I was going to fall asleep. It's called Scandal. I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. But I remember the Holy Spirit, and I'm not judging you if you watch Scandal. That is between you and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'll take you deeper, but you've got to cut away some stuff. And that gripped my heart. Because what I wasn't realizing is even a TV show like that, when I'm totally checked out, started to shift the way I thought about my marriage, my friendships, being honest and loyal. Not to a degree that I acted on it, but it starts in your mind. What is the Lord speaking to you about cutting away? About making sure that every area of your life is fully consecrated to him. Maybe it's for the first time. It's so interesting. It, Joshua got circumcised in that moment. Think about that. Nobody ever talks about the fact that Joshua was born in the wilderness. He didn't know anything else. So this was new for him too. So maybe tonight the Lord is calling you to go deeper and consecrate yourself. Not so that he will love you more. He loves you 100% now. There's nothing that you can do that will make him love you more or less. That is secured. This is talking about you walking into the fullness of everything that he has for you. And that's something very different than his love and his acceptance. Let's look back at scripture. In reality, God's tactics won't always make sense because sometimes in the battle, especially in the battle, God will take your strength away so that his strength is glorified. I love the scripture, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And until I felt truly, really weak, like Ashley couldn't do it, I didn't understand that in those moments is when I see a complete picture of just how perfectly he loves me and just how strong he is. Joshua 5.8, look with me at what happens when people make choices to consecrate. Chapter five, verse eight, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Verse nine, then the Lord said to Joshua, today, everybody say today. today. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. All that shame that lived in their families, in their memories, every part of that enslavery. The Lord said, because you consecrated, I'm rolling it away. It doesn't exist anymore. It's important to understand covenant and consecration, number two. It's important to understand sides and the sacred. Everybody say sides, sides. and the sacred. 
sides and the sacred. It's right before the first battle Joshua ever led into the land of covenant promise. Look with me, Joshua 5.13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. The angel looks at Joshua and says, wrong question. Wrong question, bro. I'm on the side of the Lord. The real question is, whose side are you on, Joshua? And the Lord wrecked me with this this week, like absolutely wrecked me, because here's what I wrote in my notes that I want to read to you. Some of you are constantly asking the Lord, Lord, come fight my battle. And the Lord wants to know, when are you going to ask me which battles you're supposed to fight? And this is the question I wrote in my notes. What would happen if we were more concerned with aligning ourselves with God than asking him to align with us? Yeah, my toes got stepped on big time with that one. Lord, come fight this battle for me. And he said, you don't even realize that battle was sent by the enemy to distract you from what I've called you to. You're supposed to align with me, says the Lord. I fight the battles. We keep reading in scripture where God says the battle is mine, the battle is mine, and we say, yay, God took my battle. And he said, no, 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 wrong battle. You're supposed to be in this battle with me. Align yourself with me. Some of you are so busy fighting flesh and blood. You're so busy fighting these petty battles that you are missing exactly what God wants to take you into. And the enemy is laughing because you're constantly going, oh, are you with me or are you with him? Are you with her or are you with you with me? And the Lord's going, I just want to know if you're willing to be with me. Come on. Are you going to fight with me? We start asking the Lord not to fight our battles, but Lord, what battle do you want me fighting? What battle, Lord, do you have that you want me to align myself with? And Joshua has the same response that I had when the angel said this to him. Look with me at verse 14. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and probably repentance if it's anything like me, because I just got my world wrecked this week. And ask the angel, what message does my Lord have for his servant? He's going, Lord, this is the first battle I've ever led. Tell me what to do. Tell me, please, because we already cut them in and they're all so ticked off at me. <laughs> And the Lord, through his angel, gives him yet another strategy that seems horrible to me. It seems like the most ridiculous military strategy ever. Look with me at 
at verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. That word holy means sacred, set apart. Some versions say sanctuary. Scripture says Joshua did so. So the Lord called Joshua not only to debilitate his men in the worst way possible. Just ask your husband when you get home. Yeah, I'm guessing he wouldn't love that. But then also, unsole your feet. Expose your feet in a way that it is completely open to all the elements in the desert. There's nothing about that that seems smart to me. But when I looked inside scripture, when I looked at historical research, there's two different symbols that taking your shoes off point to. The very first one is exactly what the angel said, holy ground. Some of you are in a battle that God's called you to, and this entire time you've been thinking God is punishing you, when actually he said, no, 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 this is holy ground. This battlefield is exactly what and where I am going to use to make you look more like me. It's holy. It's sacred. It's not a punishment. And some of you need to hear that right now. And the second symbol that got me so excited, the second symbol that scripture shows, you can look at Ruth uh, chapter 4, The second symbol of taking shoes off, are you ready, is transfer of property ownership. Amen. Let that sink in for a second. In the same moment that the angel gave him a symbol of this being holy ground and not a punishment, it was also a symbol where God said, this land is already yours. You need to hear that. That battle hadn't even been fought, and he already had the deed. That's something. Take your shoes off. This is already done, but I still need you to walk in it. I still need you to see it out. It's time to change our minds about the battle. It's not something to dread, it's something to run to, right? Understand the covenant and the consecration. Understand the real sides and what is sacred. That battleground is sacred. And the last one, understand the seeing and the silence. And Amy, you can come back. Understand the seeing and the science. Say seeing and silence. Joshua 6, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. I want to pause right there. If you look back at Joshua 5, read Joshua 4, 5, and 6 tonight. Scripture says that not only Jericho, but all the surrounding areas were terrified because they'd heard what God had been doing for his people. And some of you need to be... Be really intentional about what you're speaking. 
and who you're telling what to and start talking not about what the enemy's doing, but what God is doing. Because nothing scares the enemy more than that. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Verse two, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, everybody say see. See. Underline it in your Bibles, circle it, highlight it in your app. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. What is the Lord talking about? Jericho's walls were still fortified. The king and all of the fighting men were still in that city. And the Lord said, make a choice right now to see. I need you to see, not in the physical. I need you to see in the spirit realm. See what I've already done for you. See what I wanna do through you. How many of you love Disney? Nobody? Liars, liars! I love Disney. I'm a little bit of a Disney junkie. And the great Walt Disney, unbelievable visionary. He died in 1966. And I've told this story before, but it's so powerful and somebody here tonight needs to hear it. He died in 1966 and his crown jewel, Disney World, not land, world, the one in Florida, Orlando, Florida, launched and opened its doors in 1971. And the story is told that Walt Disney's wife stood on the stage at the opening ceremony And one of the lead executives of Disney reached over and touched her hand and said, oh, oh, if Walt could see this. And she tapped his hand and said, sweet child, Walt did see this. That's why it's here. Some of you need a new vision of what God's called you to. A new vision of what he's provided for you. A new vision of what he desires to do through you, not to make him love you more, but so that you can reflect him more, so that other people can see his love and his name will be great in our city. And part of that requires seeing first. And then the second part, Joshua 6, verse 3, God said, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests, everybody say priests, carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, have them in front. On the seventh day, don't just march once, march seven times. The closer you get to walking into the promise, the more you're gonna have to work for it. 
and you need to hear that because someone's here and you're so close and the enemy has you distracted with other battles. The enemy has you literally thinking about all sorts of other things so that you don't see exactly what is in front of you that God's already provided for, that he wants you to walk into. But on the last day, seven times, When you hear the priests blowing the trumpet, they'll sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. The army will go up every one straight in. Still such a peculiar strategy. A couple things I need for you to hear right now. Even though God fought the battle and the walls fell, they still had to walk into it. It wasn't delivered to them. They to to walk in to everything God had called them to. Those were God's instructions. But look at what Joshua adds. It's so interesting. Joshua 6 verse 10. In addition to everything God had said, verse 10 says, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not even raise your voices. You know what? Don't even say a word until the day I tell you to shout and then shout. God didn't require it, but Joshua, said, you're going to be silent until you see what I see. Why? Because Israel's weakness had been the grumbling, the complaining, that regardless of how God had provided for them, they were continually griping against what he had placed in front of them. And Joshua said, no, 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 I know our weaknesses. I've been here. I got 40 years of sunburn to prove it. We're not going back. I'm gonna make provisions. We're gonna be silent. And some of you know your weaknesses. Maybe it's your mouth like me, that's my weakness. Usually our weaknesses are also our strengths, just not reined in. Maybe your weakness is that one guy. Maybe your weakness is putting your kids between you and your husband. Maybe your weakness is that you're a workaholic. Whatever it is, whatever your weakness is, God is saying silence it. Silence it until you see the way I've called you to see. And then you can shout. And sometimes that silence takes a long time. And sometimes it's faster. But he's calling you to that silence so that you can walk not only in freedom, but in the fullness of what he's called you to. I want to show you one more thing, and then we're going to close. They marched on day seven, seven times. And scripture says that the high priests led that entire army. I showed you what the breastplate of righteousness looks like. But what I didn't tell you is the only individuals that wear the, the breastplate of righteousness in the Hebrew army were the high priests. 
Did you know that God calls you a high priest? He said, you're actually a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9. Don't miss this. Not only did God tell you, put on the breastplate of righteousness for your battle. 1 Peter 2, 9 says that you're a chosen people, you, not just Israel, not just the Hebrews. We are grafted in. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare, shout the praises of Him who called you not only out of darkness, but into the fullness of His wonderful light. And those two are different. You can be just out of darkness, but He wants you in His light as well. That covenant promise given in Genesis 15 is a powerful one. Some of you are sitting right now, when I read that scripture, you said, uh, Ashley, I am not a priest. <laughs> There's nothing about me that is royal or holy or righteous. And the Lord reminded me literally today that in that very first expression of this covenant to Abraham, God had a very vivid picture for you and for me. If you go and read the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15, what happens is that exact picture that my friend saw in that Bedouin tribe. That exact thing happens. Abraham is kind of complaining to the Lord. The Lord says, I'm gonna make you a great people. I've got land, more kids than the stars in the sky. You don't even know. I'm actually gonna bless the entire world through you. I'm gonna send a savior through you. Everyone will be blessed by you. And Abraham's going, I don't even have one kid and I am old. And Abraham asked God, how do I know you're gonna do it? How do I know you're good for it, Lord? And the Lord says, go get a heifer, go get a goat, a ram, dove, and a pigeon. And Abraham doesn't say, oh Lord, are we making a feast? Why? Because he knew exactly what was about to happen. A covenant was about to be cut. But here's what I want you to see, because it's so powerful for each and every one of you. Those that in this moment are saying, there's no way God wants to do this through me. Because what happens is that Abraham cuts these animals and the blood starts to spill in the middle of that ditch. And he knows what's coming. He knows the list that God has promised him. And what God asked in return is to be without sin. And look at scripture. It says a thick and dreadful darkness falls over Abraham. Why? Because he knew he couldn't do that. And he knew that if he couldn't be without sin, then now not only would he not be a royal, a huge nation and a powerful nation, he wouldn't have those descendants, he wouldn't have the land, and the entire world wouldn't be blessed through him. A thick and dreadful darkness. And what happens is so powerful. 
What happens is that God, through the picture, literally through these beautiful pictures of a smoking fire pot first, an amazing symbol of the presence of God, that smoking fire pot passes through the middle of those animals. And in this beautiful symbol, God himself is stomping through the blood and going, if I don't deliver to you what I've promised, you can do this to me in front of the whole world. Abraham terrified. Here's the dilemma. If Abraham steps one foot in that blood, he knows he's dead because he can't be perfect. But if he doesn't, he knows now the entire world won't be blessed through him. So what does he do? Look at scripture. He stands there and it's as if God himself puts his hand on his chest. says, no, I got this. God himself, through a blazing torch, passes through those animals and says, Abraham, if you can't be perfect, in the way that I know you can't be perfect, then you can do this to me. And in that moment, Jesus was willing to die for you and for me. In that moment, so that you and I can walk into the fullness of his righteousness, so that you and I can wear the breastplate, not of Ashley's righteousness, but of his righteousness. In that moment, God made provision, understanding that you and I would never be enough, that we would never be enough. And yet he said, I am enough. This week, the Lord reminded me that Ephesians 5 says, put on the full armor of God, not from God. It's His. It's His righteousness. It's all His. You will never be enough. Does that mean you don't try? No. You will never get it perfect. Does that mean He hasn't called you to greater? No, He has. In the middle of all the fails, in the middle of not getting it right first time, second time, third time, fourth time, if you're like me, the tenth time. He says, I've covered you, and yet I've still called you to greater. Bow your head, I want to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you want to say yes to that sacrifice that we just talked about, the sacrifice that Jesus paid for you so that you could live out the covenant promises, everything that God has written in scriptures for you to live in his fullness. Yes, his freedom and also his fullness. If you've never said yes to him, now's the time. We said it's a covenant, meaning God can't save you just out of his love for you. You have to actually receive it. That's all you have to do. Receive it. Accept the price that he paid. Believe in him. Trust in him. If that's you here tonight and you want to receive that gift, lift your hand. I want to pray for you. One, two, three. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. All over the room. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I see you. Yes. Yes. Where you are right now in your own words, just tell him, Lord, I want, 
the price that you paid for me. God, I want all that reproach of all the enslavery, all that shame, I want it gone, Lord. I want to consecrate myself to you, God. I give you my life. I want to live it for you. Scripture's clear that all of heaven is rejoicing from that decision. And you're not called to walk it alone. So in a private moment, find your group leader after and tell them, we want to resource you. The enemy would love for you to walk out of here without connecting because then he's already started the distractions. If you're here tonight and you want to make a new choice to consecrate yourself, maybe there's a cutting away of things that aren't keeping you from heaven, no, but keeping you from the fullness of what God wants to do in your life here and now. And you recognize that. Maybe you just want to lift your hand and say, Holy Spirit, I see it. I see the areas. Yeah, I'm lifting my hand. There are areas that He's cutting away even now. There are things that He's calling us into. We're going deeper, consecrating ourselves to Him. And maybe you're here and you've been thinking about it all wrong. You've been asking God to fight your battles and you just want to align yourself with Him in a new way. Lord, I want to fight your battles. I want to be on your side. I want to literally walk with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the actual presence of God and Joshua understood it. And he never made a move without the presence of God and that's how I want to live. Lord, I don't want just what's good. I want exactly what you have for me. If that's you, just lift your hand. Yeah, that's me. Lord, you see our hands. God, you see our hearts. Lord, open our eyes. Let us see exactly what you're calling us into. Open our eyes in a fresh new way, Lord. Let us actually see in the same way Walt Disney saw the vision, Lord, show us what you are calling us to, that we could see it in the spirit before it ever manifests in the physical. Help us to walk in that, Lord. Show us what you want us to consecrate in, what you want us to cut away. Help us to remember, Lord, that it is your righteousness that you knew we wouldn't get it perfect. You knew. And yet you walked that blood path for us. Help us to find our identity, our breastplate in your righteousness. Not in ours, ours is filthy rags, God, but in yours. That you would be our identity, that you would be our strength. We love you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.